Is that a whale? A wooden whale? Oh, it was a wooden sperm whale. <laughs> Look at his nails. I am cracking up. And it doesn't do, it just sits on your shelf? Yeah, it doesn't do anything. I'm not into sperm <laughs> whales. Like, <laughs> I have nothing against them, but like, I don't. It doesn't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a desk. Lights up. A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. Joseph Watts, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I am playing Ty. Charlene Hong White, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I am playing Sophie. Lights up on a cabin on the outskirts of town. Candles lit, but it is pretty dim. Come on. Ty? I'm Ty. You're Ty. Expecting someone different? Wasn't expecting anything. You ain't the first to try and figure me out. You ain't the last. You're the one who needs to figure out my stuff. Ain't that what you do? True, but prophecy's not a solo mission. Common misconception. You know I won't bite. I ain't scared. So why aren't you sitting down yet? You look tired. Your place is really out of the way. Why'd you come all the way out here? Shouldn't you know that already? (laughs) Okay, we got a skeptic. I love me a skeptic. Look, if you're not going to help me, I'll just go. Come on! You went through all this trouble, and you made plans for tonight, ain't that right? (sighs) I know that trick. You say something vague to gauge my reaction and run with it, but I ain't going to give you anything. (sighs) I can't believe I thought you'd help. Sophie. How'd you know my name? Sit down and I'll tell you. (laughs) For a fee. I thought we'd pay after. No, I've made that mistake before and I won't be taking advantage. Cash, please. Baby, this is only half. Thirty minutes with me starts now. I just want to warn you that you may not receive good news from me, and I'm not responsible for any information I communicate from the underworld on your behalf. Understand? Yeah. Let me whip out my cards. That braille? You're blind. I had no idea. I know my way around here. How'd you lose your eyesight? Saw something I can't unsee. <coughs> you okay? I'm fine. <coughs> your name is Sophie. You already said that. Patience. I'm reading the cards. Your name's Sophie, but... Right now, you don't want to be. There's a choice needs making, and but you don't want to make it. But that ain't why you're here anyway. No, it ain't. You already made your choice, so why are you here? I want to know how I die. Okay, honey. I'll tell you, but first tell me when they found the cancer. How'd you know I have cancer? Child, I may be blind, but I'm not that blind. A few months ago. They took part of it out of my hip, but it spread. I started chemo. Aggressive treatment, they call it. But it ain't better. How much time they give you? Not enough. And the chemo not working like they thought? Just want to see what the future holds, so... I can decide if it's worth it or not. I've contemplated this question myself. You have cancer? No. Then you have no idea what it's like. So forgive me if I take your psychic crap with a grain of salt. Alright. Fill out a survey on your way out. Uh, Wait. If you do, you enter into a sweepstakes to win a gift card to Waffle House. 
Serious? You're not going to try to convince me to stay or, or fight through it? So you are wondering about me? No, I'm not. Don't need you to give me your whole life story. I know you've been trying to place me. Everybody does, but everybody needs to do is let me be. I'll let you be, as soon as you tell me my fortune so I can leave. I paid you for half an hour, so give me what I paid for. If only it were that easy. Normally, I wouldn't disclose this, but it's pertinent to our conversation. I don't see what my cancer has to do with your... Not your. Not mine. Me. You don't see what your cancer has to do with me, so just sit there and shut up while I tell you this story. I don't have time for this. Quiet. When I choose to tell my story, you listen, okay? This is not only about you anymore. I was born a she, but some people judged me on my body rather than my mind. But I knew that wasn't true. My parents insisted on he, even though I begged them otherwise. When I grew up, I was excited to match my outside to my inside, and I was excited. Maybe for the first time in my life, I looked forward to tomorrow. I was excited to wear the clothes but I was most excited to love someone as a woman because I would love someone as me for the first time. And, and it was great, but, but I still wasn't happy with my body. Some people don't need the surgery, but I did. But I didn't have the money to do it properly. And somewhere along the line, the surgeon didn't do what they were supposed to. And I was left with a body, not my own. I never really fit in anywhere. Not a man, but some will say I am woman enough to be a woman either. Straddling two circles all my life, see? I don't see what this got to do with me. You straddling too. You straddling life and death. We ain't the same. I'm dealing with life-threatening disease. You're dealing with a botched gender reassignment surgery. Ask me about my eyes. Go on, ask me. What happened to your eyes? Lights knocked out and never came back on after. I had to make my own way. Some folks didn't take too kindly to my predicament. It happened right quick. I remember being pushed to the ground and a kick to my face. Woke up in the hospital. I could hear the beeps, but couldn't see the machines. Had no one and nowhere to go. Didn't know if I could ever get through it. Sorry. That sounds hard. Now, answer my question. When am I going to die? Time's up. What? Not saying any more. It'll only get worse. What do you mean? It's not what you want to hear. Don't matter how bad. Tell me. You sure? I want to know. No way you'd expect. In fact, you wouldn't want to die this way now at all. I don't care. I paid you for half an hour, and all you've done up till now is jerk me around. But there's nothing else to do. So tell me how I'm going to die. Please. I just need to know how I fucking die so I can rest in peace. Heart failure. When you're 85 years old and sleeping. That... That can't be right. I told you, it ain't what you expect. <sighs> Why are you crying, Sophie? Ain't you relieved? It doesn't make any sense. Because you never thought you'd live to 85? Thought the cancer would get you? No. I see. Planning on tonight, right? I'm not planning anything. Don't lie. I know you got a load of pain pills in your bag. Or were you thinking classic style by slitting your wrists in the bathtub? I, I ain't decided. You came here because religion failed you and psychics hadn't yet. When did you decide to kill yourself? Today. After chemo. Why tonight? I got energy after for about 24 hours. And I'm going to have to do it myself. My friends won't understand. And you didn't want to go through the pain. My mom had cancer. I saw what it did to her, and I don't want to put anyone else through that. I can't do what she did. I'm done. I'm so done. 
I've been where you are now. You and me, Sophie. We're the same. Did you always have the ability to to see? i always been able to see something. Why didn't you answer my question earlier? If I did, would you have changed your mind? I haven't changed my mind. Not now, but you will? Have you ever been wrong about the future before? Don't know. Sometimes I hope so. Sometimes not. Which is it for me? You don't need me to tell you that, Sophie. What am I supposed to do now? Don't know. Just uh, just a prophet of Apollo. So you tell people their fate, but don't actually help them deal with it. My curse and my blessing. I can say what I see, but I can't say what you'll do. That's up to you. Think you can drop a bomb like that and not worry about how it affects other people? Forgive me. I ain't good around folks, because they usually ain't good around me. But you got the power to see. That means something. Power is not what people see when they look at me. Those who stand in only one circle have a hard time understanding those who stand in others. It's gonna hurt so much. I know we don't straddle the same circles right now, but you ain't alone. You can survive the pain. You see now? I think I'm beginning to see. Any other questions? No. You still got time left here. I know. Sophie takes Ty's hand, releases it, then exits. Thank you, Ty. Lights fade. Guess what? Christy's having fajitas in honor of a returning guest. We are welcoming back Rebecca DeZita. I don't know if it made it onto the recording last time, but um, my last name is spelled D-Z-I-D-A, and Christy and Dana asked me how to say it, and to describe how to say it, I said, like fajita, but desitas. 100%, it's a real big thing for me. I am a Mexican food person. (laughs) Yeah, I may or may not be having fajitas tonight after this, too. Um, but we will give you a discussion on what we promised as well, which is Rebecca's play, The Prophet. So we got to listen to Joseph Watts and Charlene Hong White um, bring this piece to life for us, for our ears. So give us a little bit of history on this and and uh, tell us when you wrote it. It was probably, I think, like 2018 or something, maybe fall 2018. So it's been a while. And I've like tinkered with it since then as things have happened. Um, but yeah, that was the that was the initial thing. The assignment was um, write a play based on Greek mythology. And so I chose Tiresias and there we go. And it, it's interesting you bring up the adaptations class because um, the previous play that we featured was also a adaptation or reimagining of a biblical story. And so I was going to ask you um, in this interview if if the prophet um, was part of that love that you've developed of kind of taking mythological or biblical or other like folkloric stories um, and adapting and transitioning them but it sounds like the prophet might have been maybe one you were required to write so did that start your love this class or did you how did that work no I honestly didn't see a connection between the two until you just said it but yeah I guess that one's also an adaptation too yeah, although that one was also like an assignment for grad school, but that, but that wasn't part of adaptations class. I think it was like a 10 minute playwriting class. Um, I like finding the perspectives that we don't usually hear. <laughs> yeah, that's I think that's the key, right? That's like your thumbprint for for you as a playwright from what we've seen is 
giving us perspective we don't normally see or have. It's really kind of amplifying in that way. How does that germinate for you? Mm. Well, for this one, if I recall correctly, um, I because it was an assignment and it was like choose something based on Greek mythology and adapt it. And I think I was always interested in this character of Tiresias um, because he's really disliked by everybody that he meets, but yet people need him and they always go to him. And so I was like, what is sort of like the equivalent of that, but in modern times? And that started the journey for this particular play. What what has been the production history of this one? Uh, it was, it's been produced once um, as part of a bar crawl event, for, but with plays. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, there's this company in the DC area called New Sass and they had an event called new drafts like beer drafts and so um on h street which is this one area of dc there are a bunch of different dive bars basically and so you could like crawl to each bar but also see a 10 minute play and hang out there for each hour or two um so that's where this one has been performed and it has received a reading at um i believe it was the midwest dramatist conference and then at like kcactf years ago so it's gone through a couple of different iterations yeah that bar draft crawl sounds like an amazing idea and i'm like how do we organize one of those like i could see that happening in like williamsburg or something in like brooklyn up here man you could do that at uh with different venues for ETC. I know. I'm like, I really dig this idea. I see, I see a future. <laughs> yeah, do it. Thank, thank New SAS for it. They did it for a couple years. Um, and then I don't think they've done it since actually. And I had something in there for both of the years that they did it, but yeah, it was always really fun. And then, I mean, beer and theater go well together. So that's lovely. It struck me before when you said that you've been attracted to the character of Tiresias because no one likes Tiresias but they always go to see them and why as a I mean as a person or as a playwright why do you think that is why why is this person Hmm. an unnecessary uh, or a necessary evil I don't know like I think I think he's fascinating and like and I mean, we can go into all the things about gender, right? Because like Tiresias's origin story is that he is born a man. And I forget the circumstances of how this comes about, but I think it's like Aphrodite get, like turns him into a woman. And basically he's going to figure out whether like having sex as a man or having sex as a woman is more pleasurable. And so when he becomes a woman, he has sex and is like, wow, this is way better than when I was a man. Um, But he can't, but like the rule that Aphrodite gives him, and I might be getting this wrong. It might be another goddess. I'm pretty sure it's Aphrodite um, is like, you can know, but you can't tell anybody. So of course he tells people and then he's cursed with a blindness, but with the power of prophecy to see, but also so that nobody believes him. I mean, most Greek mythology is just really effed up anyway, but like, I feel like this one is especially effed up, right? I think Tiresis is just one of those characters that is just really fascinating because of how people treat him, but also like the choices that he makes with his life. I was going to ask if you felt like the treatment of him was sort of that self-fulfilling prophecy in that, you know, oftentimes we the phrase is you move in the direction of your dominant thought. You you sometimes attract the very thing you don't want because you focus on it and fixate on it. Tiresis sort of speaks differently from everybody else too. Like he's just very much an outsider in a lot of ways. And it's, you know, I didn't know the whole backstory about, um, you know, the spectrum, spectrum of gender and love to know what man Tiresias slept with where the woman <laughs> had more pleasure, but that's a whole other podcast. But, so you talk a lot about, and, and then it strikes me too that, right, this is a mortal person with a 
mythological, a God-given power then, right? So it's like man living in a world with other men, but also having this godlike power where they are also doing things to please and displease gods. Um, and, you know, it's almost like that's why he's othered. And then you take that in the prophet and you pair that with Sophie, who is a normal person, woman, um, but then living with one of the worst things that I think we think of in society right now as a diagnosis is cancer. Um, and so she's like othered there. Um, but then you give both of them choice, right? Like you, you, um, you're giving Sophie choice through Ty. Um, why did you go down that route? Why did you go down the cancer route and like make that ultimately a choice for how she lives? Yeah. To be honest, I think I was talking to one of my classmates. Um, I was like, I want to do something with Iuresias. Like they're going to be a psychic. Um, but like, like what question would you really want to know from a psychic? And I think Garrett was like, how do I die? And I was like, oh, so it has to do with mortality. And that sort of led me down who Sophie was going to be. Yeah. I mean, I just thought it was really interesting that you have this thing about mortality, which most of us don't really have a choice over. And then it's like there, you, you put that choice in there. And I just thought that was really, that's again, your, your, your talent for flipping a perspective or opening up a door we hadn't seen. So I think that would be my question. If I had one is either how would I die or a question about like my life's fulfillment somehow, if that makes sense. So the, her question, I was like, Oh, that would be my question. That would be my question. I, because it's a concept. <laughs> this is a little macabre. I apologize. But every year I'm like, we, I passed the anniversary of my death and I just don't know it. Oh my God. No, but this is one of those moments where I'm like, learn to steal things <laughs> from people. Like seriously though, writing I mean, that's that a great down. Line. So her asking yeah. that question really resonated for me because that's the question I would have for sure. I just want to know. I don't even care how. I kind of just want to know when. Well, you've just um, obviously planted a seed for a new play. So <laughs> next season on Lights Up. Like, that's like bring it down to a really sad level. That's the anniversary. <laughs> yeah, I'm literally writing that down in my notes. That's such a weird idea. It is. But that's true. Yeah, mm. one of my um, co-workers, um, like, you ask him, hey, how are you doing today? And he's like, I woke up. The streak continues. What other feedback have you gotten from this play? You said there's been a reading and there's been a stage production. Um, I mean, was this in one of the bar crawl plays? And I would love to know how someone reacted to this after three or four beers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... It's been a mix. It's been mostly positive. Um, I've been through a journey for this play. So I'll admit my struggle with this play was, um, I think at first was honestly the language. I purposely tried, as I mentioned, like even in like classic text, Tiresias speaks a little bit differently. And so when I first, in the first like few drafts of this play, I purposely gave Ty like a different cadence and a lingo with it. And it was just really hard for people to actually like say, cause it was so different. Um, and uh, I'll be honest, I unwittingly sort of like dove into stereotypes of black and African-Americans without even realizing it too. Cause I tried to plant, eyes as like in their sounding and when I was like looking at other things I was like oh like saying eyes did this is like a really stereotypical way of depicting black people talking and then I was like well shoot I don't want to do that um so I got rid of all those finally um so then I just finally let that go. Um, I did feel that um, I did want sort of a dialect in there. Um, and most of that comes from, I lived a couple years in Memphis, Tennessee. 
So a lot of that comes from there though. Although like, it's really interesting listening to it now. And it's been a while since I've like sort of worked on this particular play and now I'm like, Oh, I like drop it in some places. So this also might be one of those things that maybe I end up dropping in a later draft eventually as well too. But that was sort of the biggest hump that I had to get over right there. Um, and, but I think most, it was interesting at that like bar crawl and like, you know, this might've been like, cause you, there are like five different rounds cause they did it like every hour so that people could hit like all the bars basically. Um, you know, like, or every half hour, I guess I should say. Um, and like somebody did come up to me after and was just like, that was really beautiful. And like, this is really meaningful for me. And, um, like that was a really great moment as a playwright um, and was also just like, yeah, you can really have meaningful place in bars. <laughs> yeah. It can happen yeah. anywhere. Rebecca, as far as the audience experience, is there a question that you want the audience to walk away kind of asking themselves or anything you want them reflecting on? What is the experience you are hoping an audience would have from this piece? Yeah. I mean, um, I was interested. So I am not trans. Um, I am cis, but this was an effort to sort of learn a little bit more about what trans experience could be and sort of a way to relate to it if you are not trans, I guess. Um, So I think similar, I, I guess like my thing is the same for every single one, just like sort of in learning a different perspective and maybe looking at something that you looked at before and seeing it in a new way. That's, that's so important. Um, right. And I was having this conversation a couple nights ago with someone that like, and this applies across the board, but the example here was, uh, LGBTQIA plus history and the, you know, the queer members of the group were saying, yeah, and it's not just on us to know our history. We need our allies to know our history as well, right? So like being a cis person and wanting to be able to open up the trans experience to people so that it can be relatable to someone who may not know that is so lovely. And, you know, to watch Sophie and Ty start at opposite ends and then kind of like come together and realize they have more in common than not is such a great, tool i think for relating to people in this current world too because like it's always said like yeah we've got social media we're more connected now than ever but it also feels like in a lot of ways we're more isolated than ever because people start building like little algorithms around like and like and like and you you know that's what happens when we don't start looking and and seeing people who may be quote unquote different and find out the humanity at underlying in all of this is what makes us the same. And I realized I actually gave you the wrong date for when I first wrote this play because I started grad school in 2014, which means that I wrote it in 2015. So it's been like a long time. And even like thinking about what conversations were then about gender versus now were to- way different too. So I think that's also another reason why I have sort of worked on this since I initially wrote it because I I have learned more things and I have interacted, I have met more people and interacted with more people in, who are genderqueer um, and who are trans and kind of learned a little bit more about where they're coming from as well too. Um, whereas I don't think I could have said that honestly, when I first started writing the play, at least as far as I was aware um, what people were going through and the people that I knew too. Yeah. If you think about it in the past eight years, the conversation has moved so far forward. I was in grad school at the same time, 2014. Um, And yeah, it's like wild to think about how much I've learned since then about other experiences in the world like wild yeah and I mean DC is a really great place for that especially because there is a really big 
community here for that. Um, whereas like, I also know, you know, back in my hometown of Southern California, um, people are not as open about it as well too. I am sort of thinking of like people in my family who are like open to learning, but they just have never met somebody that they know of who is genderqueer. And so they just don't really know how to have the conversation or even relate to them too. I know in past seasons, I've talked about that Brene Brown quote of it's easy to hate from a distance. So move in closer because being willing to have those conversations. I mean, Dana, you absolutely nailed it with that. It's the, that willingness to go down that path, get closer to an understanding. Um, it really does take the othering aspect away of like, we're different, but we are not other anymore. And that's that the understanding that comes with walking that path and being willing to ask the question and having compassion and humanizing someone, especially, especially what we are most afraid of or don't understand the most, I think is some of the most important work we can do as humans. Really satisfying to watch your characters walk those paths and just see, you know, cause we all have walls up perpetually, right? The process of any conversation, even from day to day, if you've ever been in a relationship, you can wake up and suddenly have walls with the person that you're in a long-term relationship with or married to or whatever, where you're like, why is that wall up today? I don't know. I just woke up that way. But just watching characters break these barriers down is very satisfying. So I really enjoyed, really enjoyed that aspect of The Prophet. Yeah. And I mean, it was really interesting listening to it, right? So like Ty, I'm looking at the script right now. I'm like, how do I describe Ty again? And so the character description is they, them, theirs, or she, her, hers, non-binary, intersexual, androgynous, not of this world, but not of any other modern Tiresias. And like so much of gender is a lot of people think about it as how you present yourself, but this is a podcast, so we're only listening to a voice recording and not actually seeing it. And that was just really interesting to me thinking about casting-wise for this as well, too, when we just have the audio. Yeah, because what are we supposed to say a genderqueer trans person sounds like, right? Like, what are we supposed to say they... Yeah, because it's true, you know, it's not about passing or how you present, you know, like, I know so many people are upset about that. Ah, That's like something I hadn't even thought about until you mentioned it, though. Like, what is our perception of gender and how someone sounds or speaks? And what preconceived notions, helpful or harmful, do we have about that? I don't have an answer, but you just made me ask another great question, Rebecca. Like, I was going to ask, because we've dug into this and some of your um, kind of research and how it's changed. um, Is there anything you're writing now that you're really excited about that you want to share? I'm like, I'm in this place where I feel, frankly, unmotivated to actually sit down and write. So I have, like, a lot of ideas, um, but I haven't, like... I'm still sort of floating before I land on something. I think last time I talked about my whole cicada thing. So yeah, that's still like in the works too. Um, I've had this idea to write a play about a rehearsal process. Um, So it sounds like really, it is really insider baseball. Who am I kidding? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Noises off was pretty insider baseball and it's. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I've had this idea. I'm just like, there needs to be a play where the whole thing is just them rehearsing a play. Like that's what it needs to be. Um, And I finally landed. um, Actually, it was because um, Clubbed Thumb, which is this company on the Pacific Northwest. Anyway, so Club Thumb has a commission every two years. And um, I did apply, but didn't get it. But that's okay. They'll regret it someday when they listen to this podcast. Um, No, it's fine. I love Club Thumb. Um, But next time. Yeah, so they give like directions as to what this commission was. And so the commission was you have to use community theater rules. Like it has to be a huge cast um with like a lot of different age groups in there um 
and like a couple other things about how a community theater works as well too and I was just like oh my gosh my play is a community theater production and I decided they were going to do Macbeth because that would be awful for community theater to do scenes and messy props yeah I think at first I was like um I was like oh should I have them rehearsing a made-up play that I just make up but then I was like it would be kind of fun or like do we need the sort of like familiarity of like we know what the text is and so I was like we probably need to know what the text is it'll be Shakespeare so that it's in the public domain and most people know that um and I knew that I was going to call it rude mechanicals but then I like after the mechanicals in a midsummer night's dream no, I need you to write this play now because I'm seeing like bits of it. I'm seeing kind of like the the um, waiting for Guffman version of this in my yeah. head. <laughs> it needs to happen and it sounds brilliant. And like also this is just another tie-in to you like reinterpreting, reimagining a classic, which I'm like all for. So now that you've said this and workshopped it here, I need you to we need a draft. We need a draft. I've start I've started it. I so the problem is I need to read Macbeth again and like do a bunch of research, dramaturgical research, um, which I'm just like, oh, I need to I need to actually like go through the play again and like highlight the scenes that I want to do and stuff. All I know is um there is gonna be actually, since we're talking about gender, there is gonna be a lot of like I think particularly in my version of this group doing Macbeth, Macbeth is going to be played by a woman. Um, And there are those like community theater sort of archetypes in there. Like the person who didn't make it in the big city and like moves back home, you know, and like the person who sort of like owns the town and thinks that they're all that, but they're very untalented. Um, Yeah, but I do know that I do actually want, by the end of the play, when it gets to Burn and Wood, comes to Dunsinane, I actually want that to be, like, a really amazing theatrical moment. So I have to, I'm, like, building up there, so I need to figure out how to get there. You've got, I mean, the more you talk about this, the more I'm like, you've got it. Yeah, (laughs) I just have to, like, actually do it. Did you ever watch, this is an old series I will I say old it's like 10 15 years slings and arrows I think it was Canadian yes yes every theater person needs to watch that amen Mm -hmm. when you're describing like this community theater the like person who didn't make it and came you know came back to their small town or like the you know big honcho that was just like there's just elements I was like oh that makes me think of slings and arrows and that's really satisfying like please I want to read this when you write it I really do so bad yeah I'll send it to you guys so Rebecca's homework assignment is to finish this play and send it to us and everyone listening's assignment is to find slings and arrows on a streaming service and order fajitas tonight and watch it while you're eating your fajitas (laughs) it is really funny speaking of slings and arrows because I I, I, so I watched the show and then I ended up working at a theater and there were like so many things at work. And I was like, this is exactly what happens on Big Slings and Arrows. <laughs> 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 truly, it's been a long time since I watched it, but truly, I remember one of the gems of that show for me was the stage yes. manager. Yeah. <laughs> Just the shenanigans. <laughs> would put up with and the things she would say it was like you you're just Honestly, you're everything the stage manager role in um noises off is brilliant and if you look at the mechanicals the stage manager i mean it's peter quince essentially right like is kind of running around also just a hoot of a character and they're they all kind of follow this like type a a commedia like a commedia stock type you know we have our own commedia stocks within the theater community. yeah oh poor poor <laughs> Quince is just trying to do his job and bo- yeah. bottom just makes it really difficult <laughs> yeah, bottom bottom is that actor who didn't make it in the big city but comes back and is the lead in in all the <laughs> 
everyone's got we've got all the archetypes we've got all the archetypes we've got them in the community oh my god all right well yeah we really we really want to read this play because and i feel like gary would be like drooling to produce very this. much in his wheelhouse <laughs> okay yeah did Macbeth too didn't you? yeah yeah but first we will hand over the metaphorical microphone to you so that anyone who hasn't heard your previous episode and is new to you or needs a refresher um, can find you, whether that's through social media, website, new play exchange. We will just let you plug yourself for a moment and let us know where everyone can follow you. Sure. Uh, so you you can find all my stuff on new play exchange. So just look for my name and you'll see it right there. Um I will be producing stuff in DC. I just joined the Welders, which is really exciting, which is a DC collaborative playwriting collective. Um, so basically my cohort was chosen to essentially like take the reins of this company for a few years and we're going to produce our own things. And then we hand it off to another cohort when we're done. Um, so that's coming up over here, which is really exciting. Um, the only social media that I'm on right now is Twitter, which is going down, but I'm still holding strong right now. <laughs> so you can find me at quotes to Zita and VM. Awesome. So everyone will be able to look you up there and anyone in DC area will be looking for you with the welders. Amazing. Here we go. Question number one. Do you have a word right now that you love to say, you love to hear, maybe you love to use it in a script, but it's just a word that right now gives you your own little, your own little happiness. No, but you said a word in the script. I've actually figured out, I think I use the word okay too much in my scripts. So I need to find another way. And it's usually like, I don't know if you've seen or read The Fault in Our Stars. I figured out, I'm like, oh, shoot, I use okay, like, I forget who is it, Hazel and Augustus use okay. (laughs) I'm like, I need to stop doing that. (laughs) Our second question is, do you have a favorite location, setting, uh, place that um, is either like, really near to you or holds a great memory or is like really nostalgic makes you feel great yeah I think last time I answered about like what is a really like writing place that was really great for me and I talked about the Keats grave in Rome um but if we're not thinking about writing stuff, I mean, basically anywhere where my family is, truly. It's actually kind of interesting because my parents, I know, are like starting or in that like age where they're like planning to downsize and kind of move out of the house where I grew up. So I'm like sort of going through this like mourning process right now with that, which has happened like it's they have like more of a timeline on when that's going to be. So, I mean, like it's the place, the place sort of like the actual house sort of means nothing until it means something, (laughs) you know, when people are like, Oh, but we're going to leave it behind. Um, Yeah. So I guess, I guess weirdly that house in some respects, mostly my mom's garden and just like the memories that are there. Yeah. My parents are doing the same thing. So I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely, I've been there and that it is hard. I don't know. It's that feeling of home being uprooted, but it's not because the people aren't, you know, the people are still there, but I don't know that I get that. Okay. Last question. Question number three, do you have an item that you would consider a keepsake, something really precious to you? Um, it could be something, you know, that the house is burning down and you want to make sure that that's the kind of something that you're going to grab. Could be something silly, could be something simple, but just something that's special to you. Um, actually, I'm going to show it to you. Hold on. Okay, this is very silly, and I have to lead up to it to make it better. Um, so my dad is notorious for getting really ridiculous presents for me and my sibling. So one year, 
uh, for me and all my siblings for Christmas. So one year he gave me a digging dog, which is basically the rear end of a dog that you stick in the ground so that it looks like it's digging a hole. Um, it's now, I think, currently being used as like a doorstop in my parents' house. So it's still around, not in the garden. And we had a dog at the time too. So that's also why. This, but still, like I opened up the box and it was a dog butt staring at me. And I was like, <laughs> what, is, what is this? Um, then another year he gave each of us these like stuffed birds that when you that were like modeled after real life birds but when you squeezed them it had the real bird calls and the one that I got so like my two sisters and my brother got like very like dainty Disney sounding birds but I got a bird that like really screeched (laughs) really loud that would be fine (laughs) so yeah. So, so then one Christmas, the way, the way that we opened presents was like, all right, we're all going to open like dad's gift or, and then we're all going to open like, you know, mom's gift together. And I was sort of like at the end of this circle when we started. And so I was like, all right, we're going to open dad's gift. Let's see. Um, and like for my first two siblings, it was like, oh, like, that's like pretty good. You know, um, like the, these are actually like very relevant, useful presents, dad. Good job. And then my sister right before me opens hers up and she has juggling balls. <laughs> my sister does not juggle, nor has she ever wished to. And um, my mom was like, oh, just wait. That's not even the most ridiculous present. <laughs> and then we all took a moment and I realized that the last one was me, which meant that I had the most ridiculous present. And I immediately started crying laughing even before I opened it up because I was just like, anyway, so then I open up the bag and I find this. It is... Is that a whale? A wooden whale? It's a wooden sperm whale. <laughs> Look at it. I am cracking up. And it doesn't do... It just sits on your shelf? Yeah, it doesn't do anything. I'm not into <laughs> sperm whales. Like... <laughs> I have nothing against them, but like, I don't, it doesn't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we have to use that face, if nothing else, for promo. We have to decide. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. So it's a sperm whale. For those of you who can't see it, it's about like a foot long. It's like, at, it's like, it's made sort of out of a wooden dowel. Like that's the type of wood that it is. But it's Where a sperm do you whale. find that? Where do you find these? I don't know. <laughs> he, he is not even painted. It's like, it's, all yeah, it's like, it's not even like somebody put a ton of effort into it. I mean, like, obviously. Although, like, like hats off to this person who did actually carve it, because Lord knows I can't do this. And, like, you can definitely tell it's a sperm yes. whale. But, it, yeah, it, there's, like, no finishing on it. They did give it eyes. We knew exactly what it was. I think it wouldn't. I can't, I'm speaking for you, Dana, but I assume you did as well. I did. I mean, there's nostrils. There's a blowhole. You just wanted there's some detail. Yeah, like, there's a little bit of a ridging on the back right here to sort of yeah. make that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, like, you can definitely tell it's a sperm whale. But, like, it's pretty pretty unremarkable to be quite honest um yeah and I guess like he I asked him I was like why why um and he was just like I and he he knows he knows how ridiculous it is so it's not like he's clueless like he knows yeah how much it'll amuse and flummox me um And yeah, he was just like, I saw it and I thought of you. And I was just like, but why did you think of me? And he still has not answered. <laughs> he doesn't want to. I think it's brilliant. And for those of you alone, you have to make sure you grab it if the house is burning down. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it is really funny because like I'm on the dating apps and like one of the questions is like, what's the weirdest gift you've ever gotten? And this mm-hmm. is what I say. The wooded sperm well <laughs> I mean like, I, 
any any person worth their weight would comment on that. I, I oh, also- it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah to yeah, the yeah, point yeah. where like I think Hinge has like gotten now has like predictive text of what I'm going to say about this <laughs> 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 a whale. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, I mean, it makes look makes for a good prompt, makes for a good podcast story. Thanks, Dad. I mean, what more could we ask? Yeah, for? thanks, Dad. Yeah. So I, at one point, it was like on the windowsill by my bed. So I was like, oh, it's like my dream whale. It's like a dream catcher, but a whale. So now it sits on my bookshelf and I'll never be able to get rid of it now because it's so notorious. <laughs> it's going to stay with me until I die. <laughs> well, Rebecca. You have made us laugh. You have made us ponder our death dates. Uh, you have. Uh, <laughs> we ended up mortality. We ended up mortality. <laughs> and we also got, you know, a great dinner suggestion for tonight. So this has been a full a full hour of fun, quite honestly. Um, and we can't thank you enough for coming back. You are part of the Lights mm-hmm. Up family forever. We so appreciate having you um, again for another season. So, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was, I had fun talking to you guys last time. So I um, was looking forward to it. Again. <laughs> Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theater company located in Southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or a reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ATC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ATC, please visit our website for details. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. process of response and recovery to the pandemic. ETC and the Lights Up podcast would like to thank Humanities Tennessee and the National Endowment for the Humanities for this amazing opportunity.